0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed
1: just for you. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you tuning in. I know you have a lot of choices of conservative talk radio you can listen to, and uh, I try to make this one sort of unique because we deal with constitutional issues uh, in addition to other political issues. And... Uh, You know, there's a number of constitutional issues coming up. I've just posted an article at my blog at www.michaelconnelly.jigsy.com that is titled Another Constitutional Crisis. And it deals with the seriousness of what is about to happen with this Iran Treaty. And we'll get into that in a moment, but first of all, Interesting news developing today, the FBI has apparently received Hillary Clinton's private server, her private email server. Now, this is something she said she would not turn over, but so that indicates that she has not changed her mind of voluntarily turning it over. That means the FBI and the Department of Justice is after her. Now, this is a liberal Democrat that was Secretary of State for Obama. And that he would should be supporting, you would think, for President of the United States to take his place. I, on the other hand, am going to go out on a limb here and say that he doesn't want her to win the presidency. That's because he doesn't believe he can necessarily control her, or control Bill for that matter. Obama wants a third term. Legally, he can't serve a third term as president of the United States. So he wants to do the next best thing, I think, and that's control whoever is elected. Have and do his bidding. Who is most likely to do that? Hillary Clinton? Because they, she and Obama have essentially hated each other ever since the 2008 campaign. Uh, Obama basically stole votes from... Delegates from Hillary, we know that happened here in Texas. They intimidated people going into the caucuses in Texas. She believes that that election was stolen from her, and it was rightly hers. She has hated Obama ever since. Obama has hated her for daring to oppose him in the first place. And she was appointed Secretary of State, basically, so Obama could keep an eye on her. but he gave her pretty much free reign, and now she's done something that's embarrassing to herself and potentially embarrassing to him. But the main thing is is he doesn't like Hillary Clinton. He doesn't trust Hillary Clinton, and she doesn't trust him. So that means he can't have a third term by proxy if Hillary Clinton is elected. So he's turned loose to Valerie Jarrett, I think is the architect behind this, and if you don't know who DeFallari Jarrett is, <clears throat> she is a Muslim woman who is a uh, advisor to the President of the United States, probably the st- strongest advisor he has. Uh, she basically, we think, is the one who canceled the rescue efforts of our ambassador and the other Americans under siege in Benghazi. We think that word came from her because the president was nowhere to be found that night, we still have no idea where that man was, what he was doing while all this was unfolding. <clears throat> and with the, I've had several sources tell me that Valerie Jarrett is the one that called the shots. They gave the stand-down order to the units that were prepared to go in and try to rescue the ambassador and the other Americans. Now, number one, she has no legal standing to do anything like that. She is not an elected official of the government. She is not a cabinet member. She is not a secretary of one of the cabinet posts. She is an advisor to the president. Apparently she was able to do that. Now we think that she is calling the shots on this Hillary Clinton line. That she is the one that leaked the information to begin with about the private email server. Because remember that just sort of appeared out of nowhere. It was leaked to certain members of the news media, which picked it up and ran with it, and it's snowballed ever since. And now we have the Department of Justice going after Hillary Clinton. I mean, there's, there's no other way to put it. And they're pretty much putting in themselves in a position where they're going to have to criminally charge her. General Petraeus, Petraeus is a, you know was a fine U.S. general as far as I'm concerned. He was the architect of the surge in Iraq and I believe that he deserves our admiration. But he made a mistake. He put himself in a position where he potentially, and he didn't actually, there's no proof that he actually compromised secret intelligence information, but he put himself in a position where he could have compromised it. And for that, he ended up pleading guilty to a crime and being put on probation. He was charged with a crime. Petraeus basically was put in disgrace. He did not do anything as serious as what it looks like Hillary Clinton did. I mean, let's face it, we've got thousands of emails out there, only a fraction of which have been turned over by Clinton because she claimed that most of them were private emails and therefore did not relate to her position. She said at a press conference uh, a couple weeks ago that absolutely no confidential information had been sent in those emails. Then it was found out, after 40 emails, out of the thousands that had been turned over, 40 were examined. Four of them were found to contain confidential information. Two of them were found to have been top secret, which is the second highest classification security classification you can have. So we have 4 out of 40, 10%. Now we're looking at what, 30,000 emails? If that 10% holds, then we're particularly potentially looking at 3,000 emails that contain sensitive information, information that could compromise our national security, could compromise our military. They were sent out by Clinton. Now that, when you compare that with what happened to Petraeus, what he did, Hillary Clinton is guilty of much more horrendous crime. As the FBI looks into this, based on what we've already discovered, I think they're going to be hard-pressed not to charge her. Department of Justice will have to charge her. And I think uh, Valerie Jarrett wants that to happen. I think she is the driving force behind this. She is the one that's making the moves to put Hillary out of the race. And when that happens, Bernie Sanders is a far-left socialist. Yet he has a big following in the Democratic Party because, let's face it, most of the people in the Democratic Party are far-left socialists. Or they're so dumb they don't know what a socialist is. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the head of the Democratic Party, couldn't differentiate between a socialist and a Democrat. He basically thinks they're one and the same. Well, Bernie Sanders claims to think the same thing, and he has a lot of support out there. But can he win the presidency? I doubt it. And can Obama control him if he does win I don't know. I don't know that much about the relationship that they have, if any. What I think is going to happen here is Hillary is going to be forced out of the race, and Joe Biden is going to step in. Joe Biden can be controlled by Obama. He's done it for six years, six and a half years. Joe Biden has basically been an Obama stooge. So Obama, under those circumstances, will get his third term. And who knows what kind of position of power Biden might give to Obama once Obama's daughter... Can you imagine Barack Hussein Obama as our Secretary of Defense, as much as he hates the military and hates our veterans, and as much as he gives aid and comfort to our enemies? Can you imagine him as Secretary of State? Can you imagine him as Attorney General? Or can you imagine him on the United States Supreme Court? All of those will be available to the next President of the United States because let's face it we have some members of the Supreme Court that are getting to the point where they're not going to last that much longer on the court very scary scenarios out there and this is all being orchestrated and people need to know about this people need to think about this people need to see what's happening here now if Hillary Clinton is not charged, if the scandal does not force her out of the presidency, then that will mean that she's cut a deal with Obama. She's cut a deal to allow Obama to basically control her. If she's elected president. And that's scary in and of itself. Because then again, Obama's found a way to have a third term. And there's another possibility for a third term from Obama but you know what I'm not going to talk about it because I found a possible loophole that would allow him to get a third term to stay in as president and I'm not talking about martial law that's always a possibility too that we're going to have some crisis and believe me in the next 18 months there are going to be a lot of crisis for us to face that we're going to have some crisis that will allow Obama, or he thinks will allow him, to declare martial law. He declares martial law, he suspends the elections in 2016, and he remains in as president, or declares himself president for life. That's a possibility, a real possibility. But there's another possibility out there that I've looked at, and I'm going to develop it and research it, and then probably write an article about it. And because I'm right in what I'm thinking, this is something that the Obama people are probably already contemplating <clears throat> as far as him getting a third term. But in the interim, we've got a man in the White House who is a dictator as far as he's concerned, who considers himself a dictator. He, himself, he considers himself above us. He's smarter than we are. He panders to the uh, idea of racial division, class division, religious division. I mean, you name it, the man is a divider. And, of course, you know the old saying, divide and conquer. That's what he's doing in this country right now. And part of it is being facilitated by our own Congress, our own Republican leadership in Congress. And we'll talk about that after the break.
0: The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution.
1: With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on America's Webradio.com.
0: Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad cross case, the Arizona immigration law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to
1: americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. The second thing I want to talk about today is the new article I've written called Another Constitutional Crisis. You can find it at my blog. <clears throat> excuse me. at that's c-o-n-n-e-l-o-y i-g-z-j-i-g-s-y dot com. And in it I talk about how We've basically stumbled from one constitutional crisis to another with this president. I mean, he's repeatedly violated his oath of office. He has ignored the constitutional balance of powers by bypassing Congress in order to rewrite and make new laws. And he's ignoring the rules of courts. He sought the destruction of our free market economy, tried to divide us along racist, ethnic, and uh, economic lines. And he's blaming the American people for all the ills of the world. He has also launched an all-out assault on the Bill of Rights. He is constantly trying to take away the right to keep and bear arms, to take away our right to free speech, freedom of religion, and when you name it. He's been doing it. But now, we have a constitutional crisis of epic proportions, that is being facilitated by the Republican leadership in Congress. Remember those guys? We elected them to stop the Obama onslaught, to stop his runaway destruction of the Constitution and our Constitutional Republic. That's why we put them in Congress. Yet the Republican leaders of Congress have done something on the Iran Treaty which I find to be unconscionable and unbelievable. <clears throat> First of all, let me make it clear, and I point out the reasons why I'm saying this in this article, that this is a treaty. It is not an agreement. It's not an executive agreement. It falls into the classic definition of a treaty between two or more countries. A treaty must be ratified by two-thirds majority of the United States Senate before it can go into effect. That's what the Constitution says. It's specific. Now, there have been executive agreements made by the President of the United States in the past. A lot of them have been been in the areas of trade. But usually they've come after the, the Congress has given the President specific authority to make these, rightly or wrongly. That's what basically Congress did when it passed this Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement. It gave enormous power to the president to negotiate treaties. And some of these treaties may involve limits on constitutional rights in this country, like firearms ownership. But most executive agreements, international agreements made by the president, are made in times of a, a war, national emergency. Congress is not in session. Uh, money needs to be spent uh, to assist our allies who are under attack or are in threat of attack. These are executive agreements that the Supreme Court has recognized can be made without the authority of Congress. But they are temporary in nature. When Congress has in concession, for example, the, in the Libya situation, the president launched an attack airstrikes in Libya, without congressional approval. Now, that is only supposed to be good for 90 days. Then he has to go to Congress to get it approved. Well, of course, this president didn't bother with that. He just continued the attacks. He never asked Congress for approval. That in and of itself was a constitutional violation. But now we have something that's, that's major and touches the future of the entire world. We have the Iranian government, the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world being put on a path to develop nuclear weapons and being given back money that they should not have money that's been seized by governments around the world they have been given back Billions of dollars, an estimated $150 billion are going to be received by this country that it can spend on funding Hamas and Hezbollah and other terrorists that want to destroy Israel. We have a country that is called for the destruction of Israel and the killing of every Jew in the world that is called for the destruction of the United States and all the people here who are non-Muslims, and we have a treaty with them that is not going to be submitted to the United States Senate for ratification because it would never get ratified. And Obama knows this. And the leadership in the Senate knew it. Yet the Republican leadership in the House and Senate agreed to allow this to be called an executive agreement. Now, their philosophy is, well, if it's a elective agreement, then the next president of the United States can undo it. Well, that's relying on a Republican being elected. That's relying on us having an election to begin with. And then relying on a Republican being elected. And we know how good the Republicans have been to shooting themselves in the foot. Over the last eight years, six and a half years. So we cannot know that a Republican president will be there to cancel this agreement, or even if the president is a Republican president is elected, if he will, he or she will cancel the agreement. The Senate must step up and do what it is ordained to do in the Constitution, and that is protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's their oath by voting on treaties. If they're not allowed to vote on treaties, then they're not fulfilling their duties to their constituents, and we are all being denied our constitutional rights, because our votes at that point mean nothing. Doesn't matter who we elect a senator, if they're not allowed to do their jobs, and we can elect anybody. It's not going to make any difference. But this Congress is going even further. It is acquiesce to this being an executive agreement that Obama can do without being ratified by the Senate. And then, and most people think that the deal that was made was that this will be presented, this agreement, treaty, what they call an agreement, will be presented to the United States Congress for an up or down vote. <clears throat> and they can vote for it or they can vote against it. Now, a lot of people out there believe that if they vote for it, it will go into effect, which is true under this agreement. If they vote against it, it will not go into effect. That is not true under this agreement, because they have allowed Obama to have a power that he does not have under the Constitution, and they don't have under the Constitution, and therefore they can't give this power to Obama, but they've done it anyway. And that power is to veto a negative vote. In other words, if Congress votes against this treaty, against this agreement, and they have a no vote by a majority of the members of either house, then to be both houses, but either house. But I think it will be both houses. majority votes against the treaty. They are saying that Obama then has a right to veto a negative vote. and it will take two-thirds vote by both the House and the Senate to override the veto. Under Article I, Section 7 of the Constitution, the veto power over legislation passed by Congress is given to the President of the United States. But it's specific. The President can veto laws passed by Congress. And if he does that, then two-thirds of both houses have to override the veto for the law to go into effect. There's absolutely nothing in the Constitution that authorizes the president or empowers the president or allows the president to veto a negative vote. It says legislation passed by the Congress. It doesn't say legislation defeated by the Congress. Yet that's what this agreement says that Obama can veto a negative vote by the Congress and then it takes two-thirds of the Congress to override that vote. But where does that put us? It puts us in an untenable position. It turns the Constitution on its head. Because essentially, if this is allowed to stand and go forward, then it will be used by future presidents to offer legislation to the Congress And if that legislation, that proposed legislation, is defeated by the Congress, the President will then say, well, the President's been set. I can override that defeat. And now it's going to take two-thirds for the Congress to keep me from implementing the law that you didn't pass. What does that do to our Constitutional Republic? It means we don't have one. Now, will the Congress override Obama's veto once they vote down the treaty? No. It's not going to happen. Why? Because he only needs 13 or 14 members of the United States Senate to refuse to override the veto. I mean, you got that many socialist senators in there who are in lockstep with Obama and lockstep with his, anything he wants to do that will assist in destroying our Constitutional Republic. So it's not going to happen. They're not going to override the veto. And the Republican leadership knows it's not going to happen. So they basically have agreed to a treaty with an enemy of the United States that is threatened, threatened to destroy us and destroy our way of life, and destroy Israel, and is also a possible threat to country, other countries all over the world, and they have given the power to the president to go forward with an agreement. They gave us nothing. We didn't even get the hostages that are being held by the Iranians, the American hostages free. We got nothing in this agreement. We gave up everything, and we received nothing in return. And if you really think that it's going to be 10 or 15 years before the Iranians acquire a nuclear weapon, think more in terms of six months to a year. Six months being the most likely. Once this thing goes into effect. They're going to have the money. They're not going to be any serious inspections. The whole thing is just a farce. The whole treaty is a farce. This is an agreement... That is not beneficial to the United States and the rest of the world. It is beneficial to our enemies. It is beneficial in giving aid and comfort to an enemy of the United States. We can talk more about this when we come back from this break.
0: Who is, or what is, USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today.
1: With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on America's Webradio.com.
0: Watchdog. and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you.
1: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You need to think about what's actually happening with the so-called treaty. The United Nations, the European Union, and the United States will lift all of the sanctions on Iran. All of the money that's been seized will be given back to them. The international arms embargo on Iran will be phased out. And this includes and sanctions that keep Iran from buying conventional weapons and also ballistic missiles. So we're going to let them have the nuclear weapon, and we're going to let them buy from Russia, presumably, or North Korea, the intercontinental ballistic missiles that will allow the Iranians to deliver their nuclear weapons directly on the United States, directly on European countries, basically where they want to deliver them. They're also going to be able to get sophisticated conventional weapons that they've not been allowed to get, they will use these to build their own army and to arm terrorists. They'll give them to the Hamas. They'll give them to the Hezbollah. The these are part of the agreements. The deal rewards Iran with benefits that no other state would gain under the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Because basically that's what they're being asked to do, is agree to the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Iran has already thumbed its nose at that treaty. Iran has never, since it has been under the control of Sharia law and the radical jihadist, has never signed a treaty that it has obeyed. In this so-called treaty, they agreed to nuclear inspections, but not inspections anywhere at any time. Military sites are not included in the deal in any real way. Sites will remain hidden to inspectors. And Iran has up to three weeks to approve inspections, not on a pre-authorized list. If Iran cheats... The United States cannot, and European Union cannot automatically reinstate the sanctions like Obama keeps saying that they can. There has to be a dispute resolution, an arbitration, if you will, between the Iranians and the EU and the United States. Well, how strong are going to be is the United States are, are going to be in a resolution dispute? They caved on everything so far. What makes us think they're not going to cave on that too? But think about this. Who is the president's primary advisor on this and other matters? We talked about this in the first segment. Valerie Jarrett. Where is Valerie Jarrett from? She's from Iran. She was born in Iran. So we have a President of the United States whose chief advisor is from Iran. And then we have a President of the United States who routinely invites and meets with members of the Muslim Brotherhood who are who's a radical organization that has called for the imposition of Sharia law on the entire world and the destruction of all republics and democracies throughout the world and put us under the control of radical Islam. These are Obama's friends. He has members of the Muslim Brotherhood serving in our Department of Homeland Security. He has been visiting the White House. Here's a man who celebrates every Muslim holiday with a dinner or something else at the White House, yet barely acknowledges Christian holidays. Doesn't even refer to Christmas as Christmas. Those are politically correct. Uh, happy Holidays, not Merry Christmas. We have a man who wrote in a book that he authored before he became president that if the winds begin to blow against the Muslims around the world, he will side with the Muslims. We have a man who was went to school at a Muslim school in Indonesia, We have a man who sat for 20 years, supposedly, in a Christian church, where the pastor of the Christian church was violently, vehemently anti-American, who after 9-11 said, no, don't God bless the United States, God damn the United States. The chickens have come home to roost. He was jubilant about the 9-11 attacks, jubilant about the 3,000 people who were killed. This is Obama's pastor. This is the man who, along with Valerie Jarrett, is deciding the future of the world with this treaty with Iran. And we have our members of Congress who we elected to stop this sort of thing acquiescing in this. Is it a constitutional crisis? Yes. Because we are setting a precedent here for this president and future presidents to do whatever they want, to act as dictatorships. If this goes through, then we're done. Now, can it be stopped? Well, Congress can certainly stop it. It's not going to happen because they've already reached this agreement, and you're not going to get two-thirds of of this Congress to override a veto by Obama. There's another way. Somebody needs to step up to the plate, specifically a member of the United States Senate, or possibly a member of the House of Representatives, but a senator would would be critical here, I think and sue to stop this. Now, people keep asking me, well, why can't the United States Justice Foundation just file suit? Why can't you be the plaintiff or why can't you file suit on my behalf as an individual American? Well, the reality is is that the federal courts like nothing better than to not hear this type of dispute. So that what they do is they rule that they would rule that you or I don't have standing. Now, we can argue that we're taxpayers, we can argue that we're voters. In the eyes of the Supreme Court and most federal judges, that doesn't matter. We're not being directly affected, according to them, by what's being done here. There's no immediate, irreparable injury to us as individuals by Congress reaching this type of agreement and by the President ignoring Congress. However... If a United States senator files a suit, the standing is clear. The courts will not be able to avoid it. Because a United States senator... And see, I've I've been saying for years, ever since Obama was elected, that why didn't some member of the United States Senate step forward when Obama started appointing all these czars without sending them to the Senate for confirmation? Forty-five of them he appointed. They gave them their own budgets their own departments, their own employees. None of it under the scrutiny of the Congress as required by the Constitution. Yet nobody in the United States Senate had guts enough to step forward and sue him and say, look, this is stopping me from representing my constituents. And that's exactly the argument that would be made here on the Iran Treaty. The Constitution of the United States calls, number one, for a treaty to be ratified by two-thirds of the Senate before it can go into effect. A senator could sue and say, Look, I am obligated under the Constitution to represent my constituents and to vote on treaties. By bypassing the Senate, you're bypassing the Constitution, you're denying me my right to perform my obligation, and you're denying me my right to represent or my obligation to represent the voters in my state. Very compelling argument. But even say that the court rules, well, it's not really a treaty, it's an, an agreement. Then you go into Plan B, and you argue both of these at the same time. Then you argue, well, what about Article One, Section 7 of the Constitution that allows the President of the United States to veto legislation passed by Congress? by allowing the president and his leadership in Congress to agree to bypass that article of the Constitution and to allow Obama to veto a negative vote on this treaty, you are again denying me, this United States senator that I would love to see step forward, you're denying me the right to represent my constituents and to vote. Because under the rules of Congress, Under the Constitution, I am allowed to vote for something or against something. If I vote for a bill that passes both houses of Congress, then the President can veto it, and it requires a two-thirds majority to override the veto. On the other hand, the Constitution does not allow the President to veto a negative vote. So if I vote something down, along with my colleagues, then that's defeated, and the President can't override or can't veto that vote. If the president's allowed to veto it, and it takes two-thirds majority of both houses to override it, then my ability to represent my constituents has been compromised. And I'm no longer in a position to represent them. You need to go to www.michaelconnolly.jigsy.com. And there's a link to my my blog also on the America's Web Radio website. And you need to read this article. And then you need to repost this article everywhere. You need to email it to your friends and acquaintances and family members. In the past, some people, when I've done an important article, have printed it out and handed it out in their churches you need to let everybody know about this because people are not talking about this. Nobody is bringing this up. As far as I know, I am the only one that has raised Article I, Section 7 of the Constitution and brought it into the debate. Send this thing to your Senate, Senators, and your members of Congress. I suspect there are a lot of members of the House of Representatives in particular that haven't thought about this that haven't recognized what they're doing. At least I hope I'm in this situation because I need to think that all of them acquiesce in this. If a senator steps forward and files such a suit, I will assist them and him or her in any way I can. The United States Justice Center Foundation will assist. We will work to help win that litigation but somebody's going to step up to the plate otherwise stick a fork in us because we're done let's take our final break now
0: watchdog is a term given an organization like the united states justice foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and when necessary The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the US Senate on all but one US Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution.
1: You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So please contact your members of Congress, read that article, pass that article on. This is this is extremely serious. I mean, this is something that's got to be stopped. Of course, we're dealing with a lot of serious issues out there, and a lot of which involve our Constitution and the Obama administration efforts to basically destroy our Constitution. The immigration amnesty crisis. You know that we have a federal court in Texas Federal District Court that has ruled the Obama amnesty, granting of amnesty to up to 11 million illegals in this country, is unconstitutional. We have a Court of Appeals, the Fifth Circuit, that ruled the same way. The United States Justice Foundation was involved in filing a brief, an amicus brief, a friendly Court brief in the Fifth Circuit. We're proud to be a part of that victory so far. It's going to be the United States Supreme Court. We will be there to file a brief in the United States Supreme Court. But in the meantime, Obama is under a court order saying that he cannot go forward with this plan, but he's doing it anyway. He's still fast-tracking these illegals to get them registered as U.S. citizens and to get them registered to vote for 2016. He's also fulfilling his promise to the far left to allow this country to be trashed by criminals. How many Americans are going to die? How many Americans are going to be raped? How many Americans are going to be held up at gunpoint? by illegals in this country who are subject to be deported simply because they're here illegally to begin with, but who are in this country and have been arrested and charged with serious crimes, yet are still out on our streets, have sometimes served time in prison but not been deported as required by law, How many of them are going to be allowed to stay and get away with it? Well, apparently all of them. Obama has virtually stopped the detention and deportation of all illegals. He's acting in concert with the so-called sanctuary cities. Like right here in Texas, we have Houston, which is a sanctuary city. The federal law prohibits the sanctuary cities. Congress is trying to make a move to block the funding to them, which is not going to work, of course, because even if they get the votes in both houses, Obama will veto it, even though it's a violation of federal law. Everything this man does is a violation of federal law. You talk about a lawless administration. Everything he does violates his oath of office or violates specific federal statutes or violates the Constitution or all of the above. And nothing is being done effectively to stop this. You know, we're working in a number of areas with the United States Justice Foundation, and we're going to continue to work. But we need help. Frankly, we have been filing so many briefs in courts of appeals. I mean we've been dealing with religious freedom, protecting religious freedom, protecting the Second Amendment. Uh, We are representing so many individual veterans out there right now trying to get through, exhaust their administrative appeals so they'll be eligible for us to file a suit on their behalf. Uh, We're dealing with the protecting traditional marriage, trying to encourage states and local governments to refuse to abide by the Supreme Court ruling, which was outlandish, and unconstitutional in and of itself, because the Supreme Court has no authority in the Constitution, to amend that Constitution. Yet that's what they did. By the way, if this business with the Iranian Treaty is allowed to stand, and Obama's allowed to veto a negative vote on the treaty, and then Congress is forced to override it by a two-thirds majority, which isn't going to happen, that will be an amendment to the Constitution. That will be an alteration on the Constitution, which will have been done without the process required by law. The Constitution can only be amended by Congress, and any amendments passed by Congress must, must, must then be approved, by three-fourths of the state legislatures in this country. That's why we only had a few amendments since the original Constitution and Bill of Rights were passed. It's a drawn-out process, but it's supposed to be. And if this Iranian deal is allowed to stand because of what Congress has done, then they have amended the Constitution and I think some of the liberal federal judges would still would be hard-pressed to say that that's not what's happening here. But we have the amnesty situation. We have traditional marriage. We have freedom of religion. We have freedom of speech issues that we're dealing with around the country. Second Amendment issues, due process issues, Fourth Amendment issues. We're frankly running out of money. The coffers are getting low. We don't have a large staff. We put most of our money, believe me, I don't get a large salary, we put most of our money into the work we do for clients, our clients being the American people, and specifically veterans. Now we're going to be representing people that are being attacked by the Social Security Administration, using the same criteria as veterans to declare them, incompetent to handle their own affairs and declare they're mentally ill to the point of being endangered themselves or others without any hearing, without any proof, without any evidence. Just do it and then put them on the next list. We're dealing with that. We're dealing with fighting federal regulations uh, to change the definition of a lot of things that are important to our constitutional rights. So go to usjf.net. Look at our website, see what we're doing, and donate to us to help. You can find several ways to do that. You can donate uh, through the website on the Internet. You can mail in a check. You can mail a check to our office in California. You can mail a check to my office here in in, uh, Texas. But donate to us even if it's only $5. We are not the ACLU. We don't have progressive insurance donating $1 million a year to us. We don't have the far-left donors out there raising money for us. We don't have the Hollywood elite donating to us. <laughs> we rely on people just like you, American citizens who want to try to save our Constitution and save our Constitutional Republic. The veterans' issues are extremely important. If you're a veteran and you ever see one of these letters from the VA saying you're going to be declared incompetent and lose your gun rights, contact me personally at michael at usjfmail.net. It's michael at usjfmail, M-A-I-L, dot net. We will work with you. We will advise you. We will do what we can to help you for free. We're not charging these veterans or their families anything. We don't charge any of our clients anything. We rely on independent contributions coming from people that are like you in this listening audience. And please, encourage other people to listen in to this show. You can listen in at any time you want. The show is broadcast live today, but it will be archived tomorrow, so you can listen in to this show or past shows. Anytime time you want to. That way, more and more people will get the word. Buy copies of my little booklet, Our Constitution. Hand them out to your friends. Hand them out to your neighbors. Hand them out to your family members. Hand them out in the school classroom. I take each article, each section, each amendment of the Constitution, I put them in the way they were originally written, and then I put in my comments about what they really mean. People are finding this invaluable. People are just carrying it around. I was recently making a speech, and I had two or three people in the audience pull out their copies of the booklet and hold it up. And by the way, when we talked to people that night about what's going on, we had some people step forward and write checks for several thousand dollars to help us defend our veterans and help us defend the Constitution. That's the type of thing we need more of. If you can order file, article, or you can order copies of that booklet by going to www.constitution.jigsy.com or you can order it through my website at michaelconnolly.jz.com. And you can also see about the other books I've written and the other things I've done, I'm doing. And go look at that blog article right now. It's been a pleasure for me to be with you again this week. I look forward to talking to you again next week.
0: This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.